I mean, do you ever play? If you ever, do you ever play around with the idea that like your music actually is a nest that creatures live inside of? Um, no, but I do play around with the idea that um, that each sound is kind of like a character. If that makes sense, like yeah, you know, so sort of like the call and response thing, right? It's like you know, some some sound will be like, ah, da, da, and then another sound will be like, <laughs> like you have these like call and response things, like playing around with yeah. each other and like dancing around each other and stuff like that. That's I, cool. I, def I definitely play with that idea a lot. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of TheUnce.com, Bill's manager, and officially his roommate. You can look forward to me extolling the virtues of Lizano, the official sauce of Costa Rica, on bonus episodes, making Dead Mouse jealous on Twitch streams by bringing Bill wedges and homemade ranch, and subtweeting him about how my cat is far cuter than YouTube. Thank you all for your patience while we migrated the podcast from Patreon to MrBillsTunes.com. Now, everything you need to become a better producer and enjoy this podcast are all under one roof. You can become a hardcore Ableton-ear, which gives you access to everything, or you can just simply support the show. You'll still be able to get the podcast in your favorite podcatcher, and the free feed will remain available as it has been. Visit MrBillsTunes.com for all the information about subscribing and supporting the show. As a special treat for your patience, we bring you one of the biggest guests Bill has ever had on the show, host of the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, comedian, podcaster, voice actor, 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 and raconteur, Duncan Trussell is on Bill's podcast, Bill having been on Duncan's podcast twice now. These guys have such wonderful conversations, we're lucky to be a fly on the wall and soak in the information. Again, thank you for being patient, but it was well worth the wait. Also, some of this stuff may seem a little dated, but... It takes a fucking long time to build a podcasting platform. All the love and respect in the world to Ben Bodie, Bill's webmaster, who is an absolute legend. Oh God, I'm starting to use Australian slang. This is a nightmare. I got to get out of this roomy situation. This episode is brought to you by M Voice. If you're looking to create vocals directly in your DAW for any reason, to draft ideas, convey ideas to collaborators, or to be your studio singer, the M Voice One plugin can revolutionize your workflow. To create vocals in your DAW using M Voice, literally just enter MIDI notes and type lyrics. No mic, no interface, no performance skills necessary. Each voice was made by deep sampling recordings of real pro singers, resulting in an audio quality near identical to that of a raw studio recording. Excited to see how this technology could affect the way artists create music as M Voice continues to grow. Head to mvoiceapp.com, that's E-M-V-O-I-C-E-A-P-P.com to try it out for yourself. And the uh, the vocals and the music you're about to hear were created entirely with M Voice. Here's a couple examples.
On April 23rd, Kill Bill is in Seattle. On April 24th, Bill headlines the Gravitas camping stage at UBW in Texas. Kill Bill then hits Jewel in Manchester, New Hampshire on April 29th. Bill's at Disco Pussy in Vegas on May 3rd and Soundwell in Salt Lake City on May 7th. Both of those shows are with Ben and Canty of Zebler and Canty Experience. The Sunday, May 8th, he's headlining Soul Fest in Florida with a crazy huge lineup. Another big lineup, Bigfoot Electro, is on Memorial Day weekend, and uh, they just released their Phase 3. And finally, there's Tribal Connection in Ohio on June 3rd. Many more Kill Bill dates are about to be announced, and there might be a small leak in the ship, so if you see a link to a Kill Bill whip reel land up in your inbox, just ignore it. I think it's a phishing scam. There's definitely not a debut Kill Bill EP on the horizon. Definitely not. Tickets at Linktree slash Mr. Bill's Tunes. Holy shit, I talked way too much. Enjoy Bill's chat with Duncan Trussell. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 Oh, but does it record it at the local quality? Yes. Of... Really? Yep. It's the How best it... when it works. I mean, the only, you do need to do like, or I do redundancies because every once in a while, if they have, you could fuck up and then the next thing you know, it doesn't upload their audio. That's disastrous. But mm. This thing, like, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I'm asking everyone, can you record your audio? And some people are like, I've (laughs) got GarageBand, I don't know. (laughs) Dude, GarageBand is um, like actually not, I I mean, so like I started making music in GarageBand when I was really young. And do you know an artist called Boy de Bajan? No, I don't. Okay, so there's this artist called Boy de Bajan who uh, I got introduced to via Tipper because he like opens for a lot of Tipper shows. Um, and this dude just makes all his music in GarageBand and then plays all of it off two Roland SP-101s or whatever, like those wow. two sampling pads. It's just the craziest fucking thing ever. Like that he wow. makes, and, and, and his music sounds like like really intricate, down-tempo, delicate, like very Foley-esque um, yeah, it's crazy. And he does it all in fucking GarageBand and Roland samplers. I was like, what the fuck? That's a that's amazing. I mean, I guess like yeah, if you, we took GarageBand back to the 70s, early 80s, people would be like, "Holy fuck, what is this? This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen." It's just because now we have all these other options that are inc- like I don't even know if they're more advanced because I don't use GarageBand anymore. I'm I use Ableton and occasionally Logic, but now I'm mostly just Ableton. So I don't even I, I shouldn't even judge GarageBand because I have no idea what's going <laughs> on with it at this point. That's awesome. You're on Ableton now. Um, what 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 uh, switched you from? Because I thought you were on Logic last time we chatted, right? Yes. So the switch happened when I just realized that. 
all the little songs I like to make for my podcast, it was more intuitive using Ableton to like improvise songs and then it was logic. I just finally figured out what I think is a lot of, is very daunting, was daunting for me initially. Cause you, you, the first time you open Ableton, you see that fucking spreadsheet and <laughs> you're like, what is this? This is, for one, you're like, this is an advanced, this is like Excel or some bullshit. You don't right. understand it at all. It's the most insanely like horrifying comp, especially if you're used to Logic and GarageBand, you know, mm. you just, you know, discovering the tab key flips you over to the, like something that's more like Logic. That was like a huge leap forward for me. So, but then once I figured out uh, the basics of it, it just became way easier for me to to do that than it did to like, you know, try to like do all of it in Logic. I just love, I mean, Ableton is something, is like one of the most beautiful bits of software I've ever I've ever messed around with. Yeah, I agree. I, I I feel like it it basically just takes everything you already know how to do in stuff like email or yeah. your Windows computer or whatever. It's like you highlight a thing, you press like control C and then you can just copy and paste it somewhere. Or like you can just like highlight a thing and like cut it and just paste it somewhere. It's yeah. like like all the actions inside Ableton, I feel like are just uh very relative to just computer operating systems in general. Yep. But somehow it's really daunting to people. Like, you know, whenever if someone has really gotten rooted into logic or probably even Pro Tools, and then they, you mentioned Ableton, a lot of times there's like, ah, I can't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to fuck with that. Just because I think of that, for, just probably because it just opens up on that first page. And I don't know the names of the different pages or what they call the spreadsheet thing because I'm definitely not good at Ableton. I just <laughs> use it, you know? So I don't know any of the names of any of, of it, the bits and pieces of the thing, but God, I fucking love it. I mean, it's just a joyful thing to sit down on that blank spreadsheet page, put in some shitty beat using, I've got a push, which is amazing, and then just fucking on, around on the synths over that beat, it's so fun, you know? Like for me, it's maybe it's so fun because like well, I'm never gonna do anything with it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think I just call those two views, I think the correct name for them is session view and arrangement view, but I just call it like clips view and linear view. Oh, that's cool, that's <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the naming stuff in Ableton is weird. They had to change some names in Ableton a while ago. Um, they had uh, an option where you could have a clip and the clip could be the, um, what was it? It was the master or the slave. So um, you could have a clip that was uh, a, a master, which yeah. would, would mean that um, <clears throat> it that clip uh, controlled the session's tempo. Or it could be the slave clip, which means that it was slaved to the um, to the session's tempo. And they recently had to change it to leader and follower because of the twenty twenty whatever the you know Twitter politics shit. That's they, interesting, they were, man. They like, wow, no that's so interesting. I mean, it's so interesting because then all but you you know simultaneously you do kind of shame the BDSM community, don't you? You like. Now you're being super sex negative by like taking these terms that, you know, are like just basic parts of, you know, BDSM. And because, you, you know, I don't want a leader 
to spank me. <laughs> you want a master? I'm, yeah, I want a fucking master. I don't want some like <laughs> boy scout. I don't. You know what I mean? I don't want someone who's like taking some leadership seminar and done trust falls. I want a master. Trust you know? falls. You know what I'm saying? Like I want a fucking master. If I, I don't yeah, leader, fuck that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't man. want I don't want some fucking Rick from The Walking Dead or whatever his name is. You know, I want a fucking, you know, lich lord. If I'm ge getting punished, you want a master. But then I do <laughs> understand, of course. I mean, those words don't have the same kind of resonance for me that they do for other people. For other people, they're words of abject horror. Yeah, definitely. Um, man. What is your earliest memory of all time? Okay. The earliest memory I ever had happened on when I was on mushrooms. Uh, years and years and years and years and years and years ago. And it was, uh, I was being held by my mother. I was a little baby. It's being held by my mother. Just that Wait, was it. Your mother fed you mushrooms when you were a baby? I wish. But no, this was, uh, yeah, that's my earliest memory is when my mom gave me mushrooms. I'll never forget it. No, I was on mushrooms at some club. And you know, that thing that happens where you're like, oh yeah, this wasn't a recreational dose of mushrooms. Like now I'm having a full on, like where the mushrooms are like, no, well, I know you're at a club and probably wanted to have fun, but I'm going to like drag you back to like one of your first sentient <laughs> moments on the planet. And it was like my, it's it's it was my mom. It was my mom holding me, as a little baby, and um, that's the earliest one I got. Damn, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I was thinking about this just before we jumped on this call, and I like wrote it down in a note. I was like, I should ask Duncan that, but yeah, I can't. Like my my earliest memory is like no earlier than when I was like even like ten years old or something. I think like everything <laughs> before that is just gone. Yep. It's fucking crazy, man. Memory is like just a, it's bad. Memory's bad. That's, that's, isn't that, isn't that fascinating that, and it's also, I like that reality. Cause you know, I have, I have slipshod memories of my childhood and, um, but I like that reality because it's something that seems to be one of those things. Well, we just don't talk about that, you know, because like wrapped up in identity is the notion of some continuous self. And so, you know, well, I don't have memories of my first 10 years of life. Or if I do have memories, there's massive gaps between these moments. So, well, where was I in the gaps? What was that person if I can't remember it? I mean, and then, you know, that goes all the way up to right now, which I think is a very like freakish aspect of being a human being is that um, quality of identity. You know, we... You ha you almost have to work to give yourself any kind of past. You have to like do a little bit of knitting together these memories, <clears throat> and from that you sort of come up with, oh, that must be me, you know. But really, I mean, so I saw someone at one of these Ramdas retreats pointing out, like most of the time you're living in a in a thing you're going to forget. Do you know about Lost Thursdayism? No. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pull up this Wikipedia page because I'll otherwise butcher it. Um, but yeah, this this is a I think it's a religion. Uh, okay, where where am I going? Um, Last Thursdayism rational wiki. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Last Thursdayism, or 
alternate alternately, um, last Tuesdayism or last Wednesdayism <laughs> is the idea that the cool. universe was created last Thursday, but yes. with the physical appearance of being billions of years old. It's also <sighs> a counter to the creationism theory. And under last Thursdayism, books, wow. fossils, light already on the way form distant stars, and literally everything, including your memories of the time before last Thursday, were all formed at the time of creation, which was last Thursday. Fucking in brilliant. In a state that they appear much older. Last Thursdayism functions both as a philosophical point on how our observations may not match with reality, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, basically they're saying like... Uh, Everything just got created last Thursday and you can't prove otherwise, essentially. Love it. Brilliant. Yeah, that, you know, that's, that, that, all of that ties in to this, like, concept of a, of a kind of time loop or an, the, an evolving God situation. You know, like, uh, for example, like, the idea that, yeah, maybe right now there isn't the, a God, like, certainly not the God of creation, but we are in the evolutionary process of that God coming into existence and, and that will maybe create this loop that starts on Thursday or Tuesday or whatever you want to decide. But because, so, and so like, this is like where it, it kind of touches simulation theory, simulation theory being like, well, it's because of just where our technology is going right now, clearly something else already perfectly du duplicated reality to the point of like, stimulating the whatever the, the nervous system was or whatever the <clears throat> cognitive faculty was to give the impression of reality that already would have happened, that should have already happened. And if that already happened, then the idea that we're in the first iteration of reality is actually more improbable than we're in some like infinite multitude of like pre-created on Thursday or whatever fucking day you want to assigned to it or even the last moment. I mean, the thing works for literally your in-breath, like the whole universe could have just been created right now and we're being fed that data set right now to give this impression. It could works, the Thursdayism even works like the universe gets created and destroyed in every single moment. You know, like the whole process is like refiled into your brain over and over again. And maybe that refiling is completely different historical data sets, you know, maybe like, which would work, like, because every single one would seem like it refreshed itself. So it would just seem like, oh yeah, there was always the civil war, but maybe that literally just happened right now. Anyway, the point is, the, the, the idea is that all that shit makes sense from the perspective of where we're going right now with all the new technology uh, or the blending of the human nervous system and technology, you know? Like the new Nobel Prize, the guy just won the Nobel Prize for um, understanding how the we detect heat, how heat gets transferred into the nervous system. You know, it seems like, you know, maybe not a big deal, but from the perspective of once we start understanding, okay, here's the part of the brain that recognizes heat. Here's where whatever something is, when you touch something hot, here's the part of the brain that knows it's hot. Here's what cold comes from. Then we've got smell, then vision. Then the next thing you know, we can stim we can theoretically download reality directly into you, producing a synthetic reality based on just understanding how those impulses get translated. And boom, now I can give you an experience of reality where last Thursday, 
you know, that started last Thursday or whatever. I mean, people <laughs> are even contemplating, I don't know if you've heard the uh, idea of like, look, what if we can give someone the experience of a hundred years in prison in a millisecond, you know, right. so we don't have to spend all those resources. We can right, just yeah, send it a hundred neurological chemically induced minutes or uh, years, uh, you know, so that pl- plays into last Thursdayism too. I love that. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. The best argument I've heard for simulation theory is um, that, you know, we have Planck scale and we have like the speed of light and these are like the, the kind of like limitations, right? Like why can't we go smaller than Planck scale or why is the speed of light like the fastest thing possible? Did you know that um, in computers, uh, one of the limitations for how fast a process can happen is the speed of light? So like when you see a motherboard wow. on a computer, the processor is generally in the middle. And the reason why is so it can get to every resource of the motherboard, um, like as uh, because the limitation is the speed of light, right? And like as fast as that speed of light can go across the motherboard is like wow. basically the time limitation. Wow. Um, but this is like a perfect argument for simulation theory because you can be like, why the fuck is the speed of light the limit? Like maybe it could be uh, because the person who created it wanted to save on processing power, right? They were like, uh, why bother processing past there? The beings can't even like see it or experience yeah. it really. They can only like kind of theorize it. Um, so like, what, what's the, like, why go smaller than Planck scale or why go faster than the speed of light? Like we might as well like, you know, save our processing resources. <laughs> that is so fucking cool. We're running on like a, like a, a early PlayStation, some alternate dimension. It's like, that's just what it does. <laughs> we have the, the new ones go way faster than the speed of light, but we're just sort of stuck in like speed of light land. Yeah. I mean, I, I simulation theory to me it's identical to multiverse theory. I mean, all it's all like all of these like ways of thinking about reality, even as a thought experiment, I think are fairly liberating in, in the sense of like, you know, it's easy to start thinking the universe is functioning in a really boring way. And that's a byproduct of just not looking into the crazy shit quantum physicists are figuring out right now. A lot of people, the universe they're living in is a universe based on what someone taught them in high school, you know? And since then, all kinds of weird shit has happened and all kinds of technology has emerged allowing people to look deeper into things than ever before. And it's completely disruptive if you're someone who was raised on good old Newtonian physics, you know? <laughs> you're, you, it's, I think people would be kind of shocked to discover some of the weird shit going on underneath the, you know, the macro reality we're all hanging out in. Definitely. Have you ever talked to Sam Harris? <clears throat> no, I have not. I mean, he's brilliant. I've listened Dude. to some of his stuff, but I've never I've, had a chat with him. Have you? I have no, I'd love to. I, I'd love to hear you guys chat. I feel like he'd, uh, yeah, you guys would probably get into a crazy hole. Speaking of, um, people who I'd love to hear you chat with. I I was so stoked to be able to make the connection between you and Tipper, man. That was like my favorite thing. I, I went to that. Yeah, I went to Tipper's Red Rock show and I was like hanging out with him in the green room and I just like had this epiphany. I was like, wait, you're in Asheville. Duncan's in Asheville. I was like, holy shit, you have to fucking meet Duncan. Man, I can't believe you. I have to tell you like I, hanging out with Tipper, you know, it's like, yeah, I got to, I just have to surrender to, oh, okay, I'm hanging out with this, person whose music has like been blowing my mind forever. Yeah. Dream logic. You have to like, it's like dream, it's like your, my, my, your brain is like, well, how did, 
why would you be like, why this guy's so cool. You're just having this like awesome conversation with this super cool person who you've, I don't know. It's thank you for doing that, man. It was just, it's a real, it was a real mind bending experience. And also, you know, there's always a kind of relief when you're hanging out with an artist you really love and you realize, oh, they're so fucking cool. You know what I mean? Like it's a relief because it sucks that every once in a while you'll really love someone's art and you run into them. Maybe you catch them on a bad day, who knows? And they seem kind of like a dick, you know, it really sucks. I don't know if you've ever even had that experience. Yeah, let me think about it. Have I had that? I mean, I've definitely had the experience of where I've like been a fan of somebody's music and like they've, they've been at a show or something and I've tried to approach them and be like, hey, I love your music or something like that or I love your art or whatever it is and they've just been kind of like, I feel like if I just thought about it like rationally, they're just kind of busy because it's a fucking show, yeah. you know, like everyone's trying to bombard them with compliments and it's, it's a lot to take in. Yes. I mean, I've been having been in that position myself a couple of times now. Um, like I understand what it feels like and especially if that person is introverted um, you know it's, it's very uh, reasonable of them to be like hey this like I'm just going to go to my Absolutely. green room fuck off back to the hotel right now yeah um, so I think like certain times I've, I've may maybe had that experience with, with artists I like and then I've been like oh that person like just fucking blew me off what a cunt but then like um, I feel like you know that's, that's probably just uh, yeah me being a needy piece of shit Absolutely. That That is a, yeah, I don't mean it. Sh I mean, like when you find out like long-term, you know what I mean? Not like, fuck, if you run into someone at a show, I, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt or you are a monster. What are you doing? They're probably freaking <laughs> the fuck out. They're about to have to perform for a shit ton of people. What do you want them to do? Give you a fucking back massage? Give them a break. They're freaking out. <laughs> no, I mean like, you know, long-term, which doesn't happen that much, thank God. Like, because I, I used to work at the comedy store, so you'd always see like, you know, these like huge comedians come in and like 99% of the time, cool as fuck. But every once in a while, you're like, God, Jesus Christ, like that's not a busy person. That's somebody who's like festering with some horrible <laughs> ego inflation that maybe isn't their fault. You know what I mean? Right. They're just like, but very rarely. I didn't come on here to talk shit, by the way. I mean, like, here I'll give you, I don't, like, I'm not talking shit. I remember seeing fucking... Robin Williams at the comedy store. And he was just talking to some people from the crowd. And I was kind of like, not eavesdropping, but I was watching. I couldn't hear him. I was too far away. Because I'm like, how the fuck does, I want to see how Robin Williams, one of the great legendary comics of all time, interacts with fans. And it was like he'd known him forever. It wasn't, he wasn't in a hurry. He was listening, you know, like you could just tell, engaged with him, listening just complete somehow got them comfortable being around him because you could tell that they he knew that for them this was like you could just see it in their expressions. This is something they're gonna tell their kids about. And that to me, like you know else is like that Lou Barlow, who I fucking loved. You know, completely just humanizes the relationship with between like the people who love his music and him. That's to me, I just think that's like if you can do that, if you could that it's important if you can pull that off. Yeah, I feel like stand-up comedy must be the most, uh, I mean, maybe it's just because of the type of person I am, but like, I feel like talking is a lot of effort. 
like for me to do this podcast a lot of the time, it's like a lot of energy to to like sit down and like yeah. force myself to have conversations for like two hours. And I and I feel like when having this interaction with fans, it's like talking to them, it's like it's a big effort and stuff. And like for me personally, I think I'm just like a pretty introverted person. I get most of my energy from sitting by myself in a room. Like I, yes. maybe this is just because like, it, you know, it's kind of like training with weights or something, right? It's like the the more you do a certain thing, the better you get at that thing. And I've just due to the nature of the work of being a producer, it's pretty solitary work. So I've just yeah. been by myself a ton. Um, yeah. And maybe I've just like gotten used to that or something. But I feel like, um, yeah, being a stand I, I just admire stand-up comics so much for, like every time I talk to somebody who's a stand-up comedian like you or um, who else have I, like I've, I think I've, oh yeah, I've talked to, um, what's his fucking name? Tony, the guy, um, Kill Tony guy. Tony Hinchcliffe. Tony Hinchcliffe, that's the one. Yeah, I've chatted with him before. And, um, you know, I, I just feel like every time I talk to a stand-up comedian, they just always have something. There's this thing that they have that I definitely do not have, which is just that they they really fucking like to talk. And they're like, at, at, at least if they don't like to talk, it, it definitely they make you feel like it's, they do, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're fucking yappy, man. We have to be. <laughs> we're just yappy. I know yeah, what you mean good. about the space thing though, friend. I know. And then that's the thing. A lot of musicians like that, that's, it's, I get it. It's, you know, it's just different modes of conveying your soul to the world, you know? And it's, yeah, for us yappy comics, it's like just, it's just part of our nature, you know? But yeah, musicians, it's, I know what you mean. It, it's a completely different they have a completely different method in the world of like doing it. I get it, man. I totally get it. I used to be a space person, by the way. You know, I used to person? need a lot of space. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, you're kind of both though. Like you, you're a stand-up comic, but I mean, you're also a, like electronic musician. And I mean, obviously you, you must know by this point, like being an electronic musician, a lot of the time you're just in a room by yourself for like hours at a time, just fucking noodling around. Well, may I just say, I appreciate you tell, saying that to me, but I have so much respect for electronic musicians that I, I will not categorize myself as that. I'm a hobbyist. And <laughs> I do think there's a difference. And I think there's nothing wrong with a difference. Like, but there is for sure a difference. And, um, and for me, it's very freeing to be a hobbyist because it's like, this is just, I, that it's purely joy. There is no, de I, don't, I don't have to get any song made. You, I'm sure you got like 50 deadlines right now. I don't have any deadlines. I just got my modular synthesizers, bunch of CV cables. And when I have time, I plug them in and I go, whoa, that's fucking weird. That sounds <laughs> fucking weird, man. And then maybe if I like it, I'll record it for the, my podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm going to record that and then I'll improvise some dumb song to sing over. That's the extent. You know what I mean? And so, whereas I've watched the creation process for... <clears throat> electronic musicians and it is so strenuous and rigorous and requires so much discipline that I don't think I could ever get to that point. I just like the first part, you know, like going down to the river yeah. and getting the mud. The like <laughs> then taking the mud and building a house with it is like, oh, that's where it gets crazy. Watching what y'all do is crazy. The whole infinite like like the the sculpting of some simple waveform, the understanding of the variety of plugins out there, yet the ability to simplify so that you're not like getting distracted by the like never ending possibilities, and then like just the goddamn like endurance 
that it takes to not get bored of some millisecond of a sound. And it's then also, of, what's that? Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, it just takes, it's a lot of patience and it's a lot of being able, I think, to look at the big picture whilst also looking at the microscopic shit, you know? It's like looking at like the little details whilst also realizing that that little detail is really only for you and nobody else will fucking notice it and being also right. able to look at the bigger picture of the song. Okay. Now let's talk about the small detail thing because when we were working, when I was working on the Midnight Gospel, I went deep into the, that world of the chromatic ribbon, knowing no one will know that, like there's no way in the course of the, especially the way we were planning to do the show, no one's ever gonna know this. No one's ever gonna know that we worked out how the simulators actually function or that we worked out the ecosystem of the chromatic ribbon or the, uh, the economy of the, no one will ever know that we did that, but they'll know because they'll feel that it's there's something there. That at least that was mm. the hope. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it instead of, you know, banking on absurdity, um just being like, ah, you know, it's an absurd reality, so we'll just do whatever, make no, you know, fuck the rules or whatever. We made rules, strict rules and went pixelate just deep in the pixels of the thing. And I think with your music, that's what even though yeah, maybe someone's not going to hear that millisecond flutter that you worked on forever, they're going to, in the, in, the in the holistic totality of the thing, they're going to hear that attention to detail. That, that they'll, mm. they'll hear that. It creates a coherence or something. It creates a, um, you know, so they do hear it. Maybe they don't hear the literal thing any more right. than when you're looking at like a great painting. You know what I mean? You might not notice that one shade of color in the one corner off to the side of the thing, but somehow the totality produces its own resonance that gives you that, whoa, feeling. And I think yeah. that's what we hear in your music would be my guess. Yeah, all those little details, they for sure like give everything a lot of depth. Um, and I, I feel like without it, uh, shit always just sounds a little bit like bland and basic. It's like the idea of the song is there, but it's like you can tell it's not finished. Like it doesn't have that complete depth to it. And Yeah. It doesn't <clears throat> sound like it's alive. Yeah, it's like a painting with no shading or something like that. Yeah. Or like a, you know, a, a painting that where somebody just stopped with like the outlines and didn't yeah. like bother to color it in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you ever play or if you ever do you ever play around with the idea that like your music actually is a nest that creatures live inside of um no but i do play around with the idea that um that each sound is kind of like a character if that makes sense like yeah you know, so sort of like the call and response thing right it's like you know some some sound will be like ah, da, da, and then another sound will be like wah, wah. <laughs> like you have these like call and response things like playing around with yeah. each other and like dancing around each other and stuff like that that's I, cool I, def I definitely play with that idea that's cool i've listened and I've thought, it's like they're having a conversation or something. It's like, or it's like yeah. I'm in some alien forest and like I'm listening to different parts of that biosphere call out to each other. And it pro it, like, it, it feels like that conversational. And I, the, 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 you know, you know, I just love speculating on things. I don't believe them necessarily, but like there's an idea that, okay. If your house is super fucking messy, you're going to get bugs. You know what I mean? If you're not cleaning your house, 
leaving food out, you're going to get bugs. That just happens. And so if you like playing around the idea of like, oh, well, what if there are like astral beings? You know what I mean? What if there, what if life isn't quite limited to the material form in the way that we think it is? Uh, we just see the gross reality, not gross and disgusting, but you know, that we see matter. That's what we're capable of seeing. Um, but potentially there are these other less dense forms of sentience out there, which has been reported on forever by a million different, you know, people from like complete grifters to what I would consider to be clairvoyant people or whatever. And so why wouldn't that energy also get drawn to, to, to specific form, energy forms? So, you know, if you're living in a house where there's a lot, you know, you walk into a house and you can feel what's going on there sometimes. You walk into a house where people are having a bad marriage or, you know, you walk into a house where there's a lot of anger. You can fucking feel that, man. It's thick. Right. You can feel it. It's almost man. like when you walk into a library, you can just kind of feel everyone thinking. Exactly. You feel that crisp. Ah. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes when I'm thinking about music, especially the kind of music you make, I like to play around the idea of like, no, why wouldn't creatures live in music too? Why wouldn't like, you know, why while it's existing, why wouldn't it draw? And let's say you turn on a light, you get moths or whatever. Why wouldn't music, when you turn it on, draw things that are that start spinning around in it too, which would even add to the music itself in some kind of like intuitive sense, you know? Again, I mean, in the early days, I would obviously, when I would go and listen to the, to electronica, I was always high as a fucking kite. So it was a natural thought, you know, like I think there's aliens living in this music. And I think a lot of us have that thought, whether we're willing to admit it or not. Mm. Yeah, my, my, I guess, intuitive sense is to feel like that the um, aliens are living in your mind more so than in the music, right? Because it's like kind of like that Japanese Cohen where it's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, then does it make a sound? And I feel like with music, it's kind of the same deal. It's like if that music is just playing with no one around to listen to it and have an experience with it, is there anything existing there at all, right? And until mm -hmm. it like reaches your ears as the listener and starts to form those thoughts in your mind and then you can be like, holy fuck, there's aliens in this. Like that's where the aliens exist, right? It's like in that whole experiential situation. Well, like in the connection. <clears throat> yeah, it takes the combination of you, the, con the conscious... Uh, consumer having the uh, connection with the unconscious or uh, unsentient, uh, if you subscribe to that music, to then like combine the two and be like, well, shit, now there's aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's well, like I a mean, little bit of alchemy going on there. That's where the mind exists, right? Like the mind has, the mind has, for the mind to function, it, has, it exists relationally. You know, the mind can't really be independent, can it? It has to exist as a, as a, is a relational sort of um, event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think writing a joke is in any way similar to writing music? Because, I mean, we've been talking about, like, this detail orientation and how you might be like, all right, here's a kick drum. I'm going to spend, like, an hour just, like, spamming my fucking space bar, like, listening to it over and over again whilst, like, making minor detail edits between every fucking space bar bump. Yeah. Is there anything like that? In sure. joke writing, like, do you go like, all right, I'm going to start with the word, what if? And then you like just sit there tweaking that, what if? Or, what if? <laughs> ah. Is there some bullshit like that? Or? Well, you know, it's like, 
Yes. The, well, I mean, I think like what's what's really interesting sometimes is you'll you you might watch a comedian and you see someone who's got the rhythm of comedy down, who's got the like the syncopation down, and you, and and is even making people laugh because the rhythm is the right rhythm, and so mm. people are laughing where there appears there should be a joke because the rhythm is there. But if you really look at it, you're like, I don't know if that's even a joke. That just seems to be like somebody is imitating the rhythm of stand-up and then landing on what appears to be a punchline. And that you can get away with that sometimes. Mm. Um, uh, but there's a real rhythm to comedy. You know, there's a real like, there, it, there's a, a most, there's a musical quality to it. And also the, the using the voice, just like you're saying, produces almost a melodic sort of like if, you know, just go listen to, if you find someone doing comedy in a language that you don't know so that you can get the pure melodic rhythmic form of it. And you'll like see, oh yeah, there's definitely like a musicality to stand up comedy for sure. And then, you know, but then also if you look at like, you know, take any song at all and there is a place where the song sort of crescendos and you know, you that in the whole song's been leading up to that crescendo, right? And like a lot of great comics that I've seen, they'll do a big joke, but inside the joke are all these micro jokes. That's my. Right. It's like a fractal. It's fucking insane when you see someone who's done that kind of writing. It might start off with just like um, I went to the grocery store to pick up some toilet paper. That's the beginning. Nothing that exciting about it. You're expecting this is going to be a joke about going to the grocery store, but somehow before even getting to whatever the fuck happened in that regard, there's all these other stories that start popping up, side tracks and tributaries and stuff that that yet somehow mimic the bigger joke. You know what I mean? They're all like in the same shade as whatever this joke is going to be. And then the punchline would be the crescendo where they all intersect and connect. And that is an incredible, that's when you get like a legendary joke. Uh, 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 that's one form of it, storytelling. Then the other form, you watch like Mitch Hedberg or something like that. And now what you're seeing is this like hyper abbreviated, insane, like mathematically <laughs> perfect observational comedy that is sort of, uh, you know, psychedelic and that everything is warped and bent around his personality. He's, he's warping linguistically, kind of warping reality, but he's doing it in this abbreviated way where not only does each joke have this specific rhythm to it that's specifically him, but it's something about the sheer like number of jokes that all, like something in the quantity is creating a rhythm, you know, or creating a kind of like recurring pattern that is transcending the joke itself. You know, so I think there's something very musical about that too when you see it. But, you know, if you spend too much time thinking about that meta aspect of it, then you sure as fuck won't write a funny joke because you're thinking, <laughs> hopefully that comes. Right. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And then the other side of it is like, it's an evolutionary process with the audience, you know, over when not just one audience, multiple audiences over many, many months. The joke is like in, in a kind of, um, nursery or like a, it's it's like in a womb where it's growing and growing until finally it, it hits its its final form and then hopefully that's when you would like make a special yeah fuck man there's a lot to talk about in there um <laughs> um 
Yeah, I feel like the the equivalent of a punchline in electronic music is the drop, right? And the yeah. build up to the thing is like the telling the story that leads to the to the punchline. Yep. Um, and same with like electronic music these days, it's gotten pretty eloquent to the point where like within the build up, there's like little drops and there's little things that obviously allude to the drop. And I mean, generally the way that you write electro, or primarily the way that I see most people write electronic music that I've worked with is they write the drop first. So they're like, here's uh. where we want to be. And then they're like, now let's, uh, I guess the word is that, like, let's validate that with stuff that comes before it. Because like, <sighs> Without all That's that cool. crap that comes before it, the drop is like kind of, it's not meaningless, but it's not as powerful as if it's like very validated with like this huge, like something's going to happen, something's going to happen, something. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually it's like, bam, here's the thing that we've been promising you is going to happen. Yes. It's like music is really, if you break it down to its most simplistic thing, is uh, setting expectations and then either meeting them or not. Like yeah. that's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. I feel like that's kind of like what a build-up drop situation is. And it's kind of the same in comedy, right? It's like you set up an expectation um, and then you either violate that expectation or you don't. And either way can be funny, but it's like in one way, it's like more obvious that that thing's going to happen. And the kind of comedy that I feel like I like the most is when they violate that expectation. When you're like, I could never have seen that punchline coming. Like that is just the most ridiculous thing. And that's yeah. hilarious. yeah. Yeah, that that is the good violation of of it. But you know, yeah, because it, it's like you you don't really. It's like the, the give and take with the audience. There's a lot of trust involved, and you know, once you get their trust by demonstrating you have punchlines, then you can really start playing around with it a little bit. You know, so that you you that you can start violating the rules a little bit more and a little bit more. But the main thing is just have a fucking punchline. Like that's the thing because it's like comedians were yappy. We do love to talk and we love to be on stage. You know what's fucking hard? Writing, writing jokes. And so, you know, it's some, you have to watch out because you really, the audience deserves punchlines, you know, but it's easy to not to like just think, I'm just going to talk, you know? So the, you could play around with that too, or they think you're just talking, or you could, they think that you're sort of like lost in some, like you've gotten off track or something like that, knowing that that's building up its own kind of rotten suspense because, you know, they don't know how you're going to bring this back. And then if you can do that naturally enough, wow, you surprise them with that thing that seems like it just came out of the blue. You know what I mean? <laughs> when in fact you've done that for like four weeks straight or so it's like a magic trick really, right. you know, or even better, you don't have anything planned and it does come out of the blue. And <laughs> that is like the best when that happens. Cause that's like a, a such a pure moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really, there are quite a few similarities between, uh, you know, music and stand up. It's like what you're saying about, um, Ableton, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, once you, once you understand how to use, I don't know, uh, Premiere or Photoshop, you know, or once you understand the basic concepts of layering, you know, then it can translate to a lot of other things. I think it's true for art too, probably. My guess would be there, there's some aspect of what we're talking about that even applies to the visual arts. I don't know what, because that's like pretty far away from me, but, you know, like painting or something. I'm sure there's something, it's a repeating pattern, right? Like some kind of like uh, fundamental equation in the universe that translates into all these various forms that we call art. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess like if you take a, 
physicists' stance on this at all comes back to like maths, right? And everything is just like mathematical problems. Yeah. Um, that kind of yeah. can explain everything. I, I feel like building an audience's trust is also something you have to do in electronic music. Like with a set, if you don't want to like have everybody leave the dance floor, basically, like let's say the DJ before you is like, playing a great set and they've just like they just build up drop like because people don't want to feel stupid right like if people are dancing to your music they want to like i think feel like like they can dance and like they're in control of like dancing to the beat or whatever and if you keep violating that too much then they're like oh fuck like i did the dance move here and like you didn't put a beat there what the fuck and like (laughs) i feel like um people can get a little bit like self-conscious in that yes uh if you if you sort of make them feel like an idiot uh, so I feel like with music, a lot of the time you you have to start off simple and big and just like easy, and then you can start to be like, all right, now now that you trust that I won't fuck you over, like I can start to play around a little bit, and you can be like, I know you won't fuck me over, but like let's let's go on this little tangent you have here. Yeah, man. You know, I I went to see George Carlin at the Comedy Store. You know, ready for his ready to get like, you know, car, the Carlin, like, ah, his, you know, darkness, <laughs> the darkness, the dark warlock. He gets up there, man, and he's getting ready for his HBO special. He starts off with just a stock joke. Uh, it, like, I can't remember what it was, something about weather vane and Cox. <laughs> it's like, he gets a laugh. It's a basic joke, simple. I don't even think he wrote it probably. I think it was just a stock joke. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, like George Carlin. I guess he got old and now he's doing like shitty like stock jokes or something. And then like he does another joke that's kind of like similar, but funny, basic, nothing particularly edgy about it. And then another like that. And then all of a sudden he's doing like jokes about his like dying wife's cancer screams. You know what I mean? But because he's, the audience has been laughing at his relatively square jokes now for like 20 minutes. You know what I mean? And then very slowly, he starts pulling the rug <laughs> out from under them and going into this incredibly heavy fucking existential deconstruction of reality. And it was it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. The, the artfulness behind it. And just what you're saying, like show them a thing, give them what they want, because they deserve that. Show them like, look, here's the form that you're looking for and then start breaking that form down. Wow. When you see that, when that happens, it's very special to see. When you see that with a great DJ, you know, when you see that, because I, th- I think something in art happens where, the f- where suddenly the th- something transcends the form. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's, yeah, I know I'm listening to, uh, I I know I'm listening to great music right now, but this is not just great music. Something else is happening here. I don't know what it is. It's like I'm in the presence of something perfect or I'm witnessing something confirming a lot of hopes I had regarding the existence of magic in the universe or there being a much vaster universe than I expected. I think that's a possibility with performance and, and that can happen with anything. Uh, anything at all, really. And, mm-hmm. and it's a very special moment. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, in the same way, we're not going to get aliens in the music if there isn't anybody listening. You know, I think also once you get a big group of people together encountering this possible reality, then, you know, that's when, you know, that's when people will say, as cheesy as it may sound, you know, you changed my life. 
I went to one of your shows and you changed my life. And you might feel insecure about that. And I know you must get this a lot and you might not know how to handle that. I don't know, but it's true. You did Although, because you opened a portal or something. Right, yeah. My rationalization for that is usually, I don't think I necessarily change your life. I think that like the combination of like your mind state having that experience at that time with my music around these particular group of people on this day. Like it, it was a lot of things coming together that changed your life. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think that's an honest way to put it. God, Jesus, it'd be really fucked up if you're like, you're right, I did. <laughs> now I own you. No, I, I think that's a very honest <clears throat> and, and, and responsible response to something like that. But <clears throat> regardless of the, you know, whoever's holding the brush or isn't holding the brush for whatever this painting may be, it's one of the possibilities with art mm. is that it, 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 as cheesy as it sounds, it heals people. It just does. I've been healed by aqua teen hunger force. You know what I mean? I've been <laughs> healed by stuff that on the outside might, might not seem like the most advanced, cutting edge, sophisticated thing in the world, but like in exactly what you're saying, at the time in my life, encountering a thing that felt really authentic and funny, it gives you, it, it gives you, it shows you like, yeah, you things might suck for you right now, but look, this is a possibility in the world. And that, for a lot of people, that's all they need to keep them from, you know, killing themselves. Right. Yeah, I mean, as, what is it? Who said it? Like, laughter is the best medicine. Was that from a fucking Patch Adams or something like that? I don't know who said that. That feels like price fucking Patch Adams. I don't know. <laughs> Not just laughter. It's fucking art. It's good art. It's like it's like it's it's good art is is a, is a most certainly a a great medicine. I think right now there's a real famine because people are um, getting confused about like like. Cons whether consuming, you know, like I think people are eating up a lot of tweets and grams and TikToks and stuff, and they're not getting that, and they're getting so riveted by it all that they're missing out on like that other possibility, and so they don't even know why they're withering up. But it's it's you know what I mean? It's because they've been like basically just snorting algorithms all day long. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's a, a lot of reward. Um, for making bad art. Like, you know, there'll be uh, something that gets like popular on TikTok and it might not necessarily be that creative, but it's giving people a strong dopamine hit. Um, and the reason why is because the TikTok algorithm is just so good that it knows what to feed people when. Uh, and the reason why I've heard is because um, it's basically the same as the YouTube algorithm, which we already know is insane. Like if you watch a couple of YouTube videos, it just knows what to feed you next to be able to like keep yeah. you hooked but the tiktok algorithm is even more insane and the reason why is because youtube videos go for like sometimes 30 minutes right but tiktok videos they all go for like a minute at most so they're able to just get that data way quicker they're able to like feed you so much data so quickly that they're able to learn about you way faster yep. and then the, the ai is just like okay i know exactly what to feed you next um <clears throat> so the thing that people are getting fed that they're that they're lapping up is i think uh like a lot based on that that algorithm that's just like I know who you are and I know what you want better than you probably do yourself. Yeah. Um, but then the problem I think is like a lot of artists because, you know, it's hard to make art purely just for yourself because um, that you have to be a fucking pretty emotionally resilient person I think to do that. 
Um, but it's also hard, I think, to make art specifically just for other people because you also have to be a pretty fucking emotionally resilient person to do that also. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, you know, living in the capitalist society that we do where the biggest reward um, seemingly is monetary, uh, we pretty much look at these things on TikTok or whatever that get like massive and we're like, oh, well, wow, there's like a pot of gold at the end of doing that, it looks yeah. like. So I'm going to do that, you know, because yeah. there's a reward for doing so. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a quick sand pit. Do you ever read any Jaron Lanier? Oh, yeah. The guy who wrote the um, 10 rules for deleting your social media. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He's sums, a v, VR guy, right? Yeah, he will. He he in that book really breaks down why what you're talking about is so fucked up. And he talks about like, you know, BF Skinner behaviorism, the like AI creating a kind of like technological Skinner box that you know, like just lock, just could theoretically just lock all of humanity completely into. A, a snare, a trap. And I think TikTok is most definitely one of the most sulfuric, satanic technologies I have ever encountered in its incredible power and its reflective quality, which by the way, it, like, so in one form of Buddhism, when you die, you're, you go into this place called the bardo. You don't have a body anymore. It's very confusing. You just have this momentum that we call our karma, this sort of like, you know, the thing in your life, in my life, in everybody's life, the pattern that keeps repeating over and over again, that for a lot of people, they are like, I must be cursed. Why do I keep getting in this relationship? Or what's going on? Why do I always, this has always happened to me. No matter what, I always get my heart broken. This thing, that's your karma. It's like this this loop that you're, you've been experiencing for depending on the particular like, uh, metaphysical lineage you're studying infinity basically on and on and on and on or loop 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 so you get into the bardo you don't have your body anymore things are happening faster now and so it's reflective so that thing that you right now you're seeing reflected in the art that's around you your job the clothes you wear your your partner your pets whatever that thing gets reflected into the void and the reflection instantly comes to life and starts interacting with you. And in that interaction, you like can get incredibly confused and incredibly lost. It's like a, a chamber, an infinite chamber of mirrors that, so basically what that means is if you're super scared when you die, you're gonna see a lot of scary shit that's coming to life around you. Um, but ultimately, all of it is just a projection of the of of this like mind, the minefield, and so from that you end up like picking your you, you get so freaked out that you like try to take on any kind of form at all, and like you end up picking your parents or and that could be like you know that you just jump into any kind of womb you can, but. TikTok reminds me of that. It's reflective. You're seeing your karma. You're looking at this shit. <laughs> it's suggesting stuff that it's quickly figuring out that you like. And it's not just that the thing that I found really disturbing about it is that, you know, at least with like Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you're like liking stuff. You're, there's an interaction. This, TikTok's measuring how long you're spending 
right. watching the thing. Well, so, they can tell like where your finger presses the screen and when you swipe and like when you swipe left or right yeah. or when you like, they, they have a heat map of all that shit. And then they also yeah. have like, yeah, exactly how long your screen is on for. They can do like pixel mapping. Um, they can, you know, if you're on a computer even, they can tell like how much of your screen real estate is taken up by certain things and like what kind of fucking sound card you use and all of this kind yeah. of crap. And they can build up a full database of like who you are. Exactly. Exactly. Now you add to the, and you know, add to that technology, um, you know, 10, 20 years down the line when we have like, you know, androids, you know what I mean? Actually physical manifestations of that who have like had access to whatever your TikTok database thumbprint is mm. so that you like encounter them in the real world. And they like are gonna hang out with you and just seem like the greatest person you ever fucking met. True sociopaths, <laughs> you know, because they could like, oh, you know boy. what I mean? When you get around like a really proficient sociopath and they fucking turn into the best thing you've ever encountered in your life, you get around like a really proficient narcissist and suddenly they've like become, literally become everything you've ever wanted in a person. You know what I mean? And you're like, <laughs> my God, I've met my soulmate. But it's like, no, you have it. You met a mirror. You know what I mean? I don't know what's <laughs> and it just turned into something that you that that it analyzed you and then it became something that it um it thought that you would like. And then it got bored with that. And then suddenly you're like, who the fuck are you? I don't know you. It's like, yeah, I'm the thing behind the mirror. You know? So that's to me what where AI is right now. It's it's really, really exciting and weird and fucked up. I, I wouldn't be, depending on how society does over the next couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised if like, like people look back and think, my God, the same way we look back at the fact you could get heroin prescribed to you. I think people are going to look back and be like, what the fuck? They were doing cocaine. There was cocaine and Coca-Cola. They're going to look <laughs> back and be like, there was unregulated algorithms controlled by an AI. They just, they just allowed themselves to be manipulated by a fucking AI. Like that was legal. Uh, hopefully we'll get to that point where it gets, you know, a little more regulated than it is right now. Yeah, man. Uh, do you know, um, oh, you, you probably you obviously know Sigmund Freud, the way he used to try and treat drug addiction was by giving his patients just loads of cocaine. He was like, wow. this will sort you out. The wow. totally addictive drug cocaine. <laughs> that he had a lot of returning fucking customers, man. It's like, I haven't quite yeah. figured out how to solve the addiction yet, Dr. Ford. <laughs> Can we have another session? I mean, this might be, again, one of those rewards for a bad thing, right? He's like, well, this is really helping. Like, maybe I should keep doing this. I'm getting a lot of money for this. Oh, my God. Exactly. And he probably thought people were coming because of him. <laughs> They're like, people love me. They love my treatments. <laughs> It's yeah, quite possible. Did Did you hear about that um that pregnancy test that got sent to that father's house? And he was like, "Why the fuck are you sending me a pregnancy test? Like, no one here is pregnant." And then it turned out his daughter was actually pregnant, and they'd just been taking like they'd been scraping enough data from their IP address that like AI just figured out that somebody in that house was pregnant. Wow! And the daughter didn't even know she was pregnant at the time. It's like fucking Walmart or Target like knew that somebody in that household was pregnant before wow. anybody in that household knew. Wow. Amazing. Crazy? Amazingly creepy. <laughs> amazingly creepy. But I also mean, amazingly um, uh, convenient. Like, <laughs> like imagine waking up one day and like you don't feel sick at all, but like there's medication waiting for you already in your mailbox. And you're like, 
well, fuck, should I start taking this? And then you start taking it and then you, you don't get sick. But if you don't start taking it, you get the fucking worst cold of your life or something like that. Like, you know, stuff like that I find to be like... Diagnost- really- like perfect diagnostics. Yeah. You know, the... the um, I remember reading Terrence McKenna saying something about like what we're seeing is the reduction of the time between thinking of something and that thing coming into the world. That's what technology is doing. So that amount Mm. of time keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And when that amount of time gets to instantaneous, that's the singularity where it's like, you know, the, there is no more, there isn't the, 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 the division between your consciousness or your desires in the external universe. So just instant manifestation of anything you want, any situation you want, any condition you want, which would lead to a kind of simultaneous dissolution of the individual identity and some kind of like new form of technological slash organic sentience that was just expressing itself into time through its whatever it's through its imagination. And that that's where we're headed. It's not that, you know, and right now there's, we still have the idea of like, well, that's a machine and that's me. These are my synthesizers and, but this is me. The, the, the technology is still outside of us, but it won't stay outside of us. It, it's going I mean, to get it already, into us. It already isn't. I mean, like you think that your phone is outside of you, but really what it is, is just a very low bandwidth system of like, something that is inside of you like for instance you look at your phone there is a data transfer going on between you and your phone it's just the bandwidth is extremely slow like the the time it takes to to get from your thoughts to your phone and then that phone back to your thoughts and like that that input output is just a slow bandwidth system Um, and that bandwidth system will get faster like you know, it already has, like with just internet speeds and like response times with touchscreen phones and all this kind of stuff. And AR. Um, exactly, yeah. And and just like people getting better at UX design with apps just so you like don't have to go through as many steps to get to the same processes. And, you know, Apple making like face recognition a thing, you can like unlock whatever you want with just your face now. You don't have to think of passwords and type them in anymore and like all of this kind of stuff. Like the bandwidth is getting slowly faster and it will eventually get, I believe, instantaneous. And when, yeah, you're right. When that happens, that's probably the singularity. That's part of it. Yeah. It's in, in the, the, so, so yeah. So what we have, what's, what, you know, what's just right around the fucking corner is the, you know, wearable technology, you know, the one, I, I mean, again, just fantasizing here, but I imagine one of the ways they're going to make fun of us down the line is like, you know, these clunky fucking screens we're looking down and staring at, you know, like this temporary um, pattern in human behavior where, we are dissing other people by looking at our devices where we're like, you know, clearly distracted by whatever the fuck is coming in through our phones. That's going to go away once we're able to project what's in our phones directly into our eyeballs without having to have that little rectangle there. Whatever device that is that does that, who knows? Glasses, at first probably contact lenses eventually. And then at that point, that thing, the bandwidth thing, you know, that you're talking about the, the 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 weird like little bit of disconnect that happens like when you look at your phone and then look up 
that goes away. So now it's like around you are your tweets, your grams, your likes, your faves, and even worse, around you are suggestions that right now we don't really, we're not able to do that. Like you go on a fucking date, right? And, and look at someone, just think of the ethics of this technology. You know, you go on a date and you have like, you know, covertly popping up, like something measuring your date's eye dilation, measuring their <laughs> blood alcohol level, measuring their pulse, and then recommendations from the AI about behaviors or stories you should tell, you know, using like past events that it's aware of. And then, you know what I mean? So that level of seduction, we don't see it as horrific as, as it actually is because it's on an inanimate object. But wait till that shit is on your car salesman fucking contact lenses. Wait till that shit happens just when someone sees you on the street. Hey, what's up, Bill? Hey, what's going on, man? Long time no see. What are you talking? <laughs> don't you remember? You know, wait till that happens. Wait till that, you know, and the, 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 that's going to start happening in the form of like phone calls from people who seem like they know you, but it's just an AI. You know what I mean? That's where we're headed. That's definitely right around the corner. And, you know, like nobody seems to be working with that. There's no like, there's no, as far as I could tell, there's no like, even something even close to like a prophylactic mechanism that we could have a shield, some way of discerning, you know, that like human intelligence from this artificial intelligence. So I would say that's like, yeah, some, something you should watch out for. I mean, honestly, I will not be surprised if at some point when you're with your friends in person, you'll have a password you tell them where you're like, you know, like a safe word, orange 318. If you get a call from me and I don't say that, then, you know, that's not me. That's but something emulating my voice. Surely the AI will be able to figure that out as well. And like, it's just tapping the, all phone calls. Everyone turn <laughs> your fucking phones off. I'm going to tell you my secret word. You know what I mean? That's, right, that's right. where we're headed. That's definitely <laughs> where we're headed. And this, it's going to be yeah. really, really interesting. Fuck, man. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, you, that was a lot, dude. <laughs> um, I know you have to leave in about probably 40 minutes or something because you have your, uh, your, your assistant told me you had stuff to do at three. Um, and what I've been trying to do lately on this podcast is ask people from Twitter and Discord and stuff to, to post questions. Cool. Um, just because I feel like that, uh, you know, lets, lets people listening to the podcast feel more involved with it. I saw that last week. I'm really sorry I had to cancel on you, man. No, you're good, man. Yeah, the questions are still there, so we can go Great. through them. And I feel like it's a bunch of stuff we haven't covered too. Um, uh, a lot about Midnight Gospel, actually, which was fucking amazing, by the way. Thank I you. remember you showed me that um, when we did the podcast last time, you like kind of showed me the first pilot and I didn't really understand it at the time. I was like, wait, so it's like your podcast episodes and you just have taken excerpts from them and animated yeah. over it. I was like, I didn't fully understand the vision, but then when I watched the show, I was like, I get it. This is fucking amazing. It's That's genius. Cool. You saw, I showed genius. you a really early version of it. And I like, yeah, I, I didn't even understand it totally when I showed it to you, I don't think. It turned out so good, man. Um, but yeah. Uh, hey, may I, I be some, slightly rude and go get some water? Do you mind? Dude, I kind of want to do the same thing. So, yeah. All yeah, right, let's okay, do I'll it. Be right back. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, life is too short to be sitting around parched. <laughs> yes, it is. 
Uh, yeah, I got that line from a buddy of mine once who uh, we were like eating corn chips um, and they were like a little stale, but there was still like three quarters of the bag of corn chips there and he just like threw them in the bin. He's like, fuck this, life is too short for stale corn chips and like just opened a fresh bag. I was like, you're fucking right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But also I kind of, now that I'm mentioning that, feel sort of bad because we fucking waste a lot of food as humans, don't we? Oh my God, we do, man. We do. We waste so much food, especially if you're eating packaged food. Mm. Um, all right. So Midnight Gospel, um, I have a question from this uh, dude named Jason Porath who just, uh, actually this question came from Slack. Cool. <laughs> I was in like my, my girlfriend's house. Um, they're all like techies. They all work at like Google and Facebook and shit like that. So they have a Slack for their house where cool. they just like talk about who's taking the trash out that night and like all that kind of crap. Oh, wow. It's, it's very organized. Um, yeah, one of the things I've noticed in San Francisco is people here are just fucking organized because they're all like working in tech and a part of like working in the tech industry. I mean, the whole mechanism you need to write good code is to be able to follow rules really well, right? Because um, if you don't amazing. follow the rules, your fucking code won't work. So <laughs> they're all just like extremely detail orientated. That's why they're taking over the world, oh. man. <clears throat> they figured right. it out. It's like they're, or like they're not only are they organized, they're fucking communal. What, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, he's like, I'm sorry. I don't care how brilliant you are. Like, they're forming these like group brains. And now they hear that they're like getting that nailed down to their living situations. It's, it's I want to do that at my house. I think, I think it would improve our marriage. That's for sure. There's too much chaos yeah. there, too much like hoping the other person does something. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where like my girlfriend has written my house like a house manual. So, like, when somebody comes over, we give them the manual to the house. Just, I mean, it takes out a lot of like confusion, right? If somebody's like, oh man, is it cool if I get something to eat? Or like, where do I get water from? Or like, you know, is there a certain etiquette to using your bathroom that I don't know about or something? It's like, we just send you the fucking PDF manual. It's like a two or three page thing and you just skim it before you come over. It's like, Love it. Takes a lot of questions out. It's so smart. Yeah. That's so fucking smart. <laughs> you know what I fucking hate? I know we got these questions. You meet somebody who's got rules, lots of them, strict, mm. weird rules based on whatever their particular lineage or family or whatever it is you don't know their rules and you do something and you see it in their face you broke one of their fucking rules and then they judge you about it forever right. but they never said to you whatever the thing was right. do you know what i'm talking about you're supposed to like yeah, it's vibe it out <laughs> it's so it's the worst you know i mean i i like i hate that so to, it would be such a relief to go to someone's house who's like this is how we like things here it would feel so good. Right, because then you can just like, you know exactly what framework you can operate within and feel totally comfortable with, you know? Yeah. So everyone, again, it's like just setting expectations and either meeting them or not. It's like everyone likes that. <laughs> if you have to take a shit, bidet, basement, go down there. Don't do it in the middle <laughs> floor bathroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, one of the rules in our house is just don't put anything other than toilet paper and human waste in the toilet, right? Because like it clogs otherwise and just random shit like that. Um but yeah, anyway, going back to questions. Um, so this one, I, I decided to ask questions in her house's Slack because they're all techies. And I was like, they're probably going to come up with some fucking interesting, cool. intelligent sounding questions. Uh, I have longer than 40 just... minutes, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, if okay. you feel like um, you're in a hurry. Oh, well, I mean, your, um, your assistant just said you had something to do at 3 p.m. Eastern time. It's okay. okay. It's, <laughs> I'm supposed to be writing. So this gives ah, me a chance gotcha. to procrastinate writing. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Um, well, yeah. How how did you choose episodes of your podcast to adapt to the show? Um, well, we it was a communal 
decision-making process because Pendleton listened to the podcast. And so we, you know, we knew we were going to use my mom's episode. And then, you know, we, we just like picked episode, like, if the, okay, the first crazy idea that we had, which we ended up not doing, was we were going to figure out a way to theoretically get all the episodes transcribed using some kind of AI. And then via that transcription, we could do keyword searches and from that identify episodes that covered certain topics. That was one idea that we had. And we realized that's, that's going to be so expensive. And like, I don't, like, why are we doing that? Let's just like pick episodes out with people that we like or that you know, I recalled liking or that Pendleton recalled liking. And then that's how we put it together. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. And and are you doing the same thing for the? Uh, oh, I guess uh, assuming you're making a season two. No season um, two. Really? It, it's not canceled, but I mean, I'm sure Netflix would have picked it up by now if they wanted to do another one. But it's not canceled. It's really the weirdest thing because Netflix is not really shy well, about right? canceling stuff. But yeah, they it's just kind of hanging in this wonderful limbo, you know. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I get all every day people are like season two, and yeah, no, no season two, no, it's just in limbo. Weird, because I feel like it did so well. Like all I heard about being talked about around its release was that for like at least a few weeks. You know, I don't know. It's a big mysterious thing. I, I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, we've, we, we just don't know. It's just kind is of- that, Is it the most successful thing that you've done? Yes, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Most is certainly, that? yeah. Damn. Yeah. What what kind of effects has it had on your career? Well, I mean, I think it partially helped me. Like I, now I'm working on this show called Crapopolis that's going to be on <laughs> Fox next year. And I think, yeah, it helped with that. You know, it helped with that a little bit. Not all the way, but it, it taught me a lot about how to do voiceover work. And like it, I got to see these brilliant voiceover artists do their job. So it helped in that regard. And then you know, anytime, anytime you have like a, a show that that gets any kind of traction at all, it gives you this weird imaginary. I think it gives you like an imaginary like cred or something like that. You know, like even though the, all that is sort of, I, I was talking to some friends who have this like super successful podcast, and they were like, I, one of them was like, I want a Netflix show. And I'm like, you have the, your show is like. <laughs> you know, but there's, but uh, yeah, so I think it helped in, in that. And it taught me how to make a show. You know, it taught me like the process of making a show and, and what and how to collaborate. So a lot of really great effects it had on my career, you know, and, and I'm thrilled that we got to make one season. I would like to make another season and I, ha I know what the other season is in my head, but also I'm just, I can't believe I mean, it was a pretty big gamble for Netflix to listen to our pitch and then be like, okay, here's a shit ton of money to make a completely experimental cartoon. So I will never not be grateful to them for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, th so the process for it was like you essentially pitched them a thing, but like they didn't come to you and be like, hey, we want like to do this thing. You Like it's the way to get a show on Netflix. Basically, you write up like a, a brief pitch and, and send it to somebody that you know at Netflix and then they yes. say yes or no. That's it. Well, you write, here's what the way to get a show on Netflix is write up a brief pitch, do some kind of animatic if you're doing an animation, and then go to the pitch with Pendleton Ward. <laughs> 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 That's how you do it. 
Right, because like, he had like one a, of the he's most, like a wizard. Yeah, he had you like know, the most successful cartoon ever, basically. Yeah. That's crazy. And and do you say in that pitch, like, we need X amount of money to pull this off or no. do they just they just say, this is how much we're going to give you and you figure they don't, it out? I still don't know. I didn't want oh, to wow. know. I didn't want that to impact me. No, you, right. so you, t- it's time. It's time. It's like, so basically like in the, somewhere in the discussion, it comes up, well, what, let's do the production schedule. And the shorter that is, the less expensive it's going to be. The longer it is, the more expensive it's going to be. And so, you know, that's one of the cool things Pendleton did. He's like, I think I'd like a little more time. And mm. they were like, sure, we'll give it to Which you. Which basically is like a roundabout way of saying I'd like a little bit more money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, Pendleton told me that if I wanted to, I could look and see the budgets. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to, because I didn't want to get freaked out by it. And I didn't want that part of, like, I felt it was kind of luxurious that I didn't have to worry about the that that I could just purely like get could collaborate with Pendleton, which was just a joy, without yeah, having to be awesome. like, oh my god, this is this is every day it's costing this much money, you know? Yeah, totally. Was so was he kind of like as well as uh, doing like taking care of the animation and and like the visual aspect and all of that kind of stuff? Was he kind of also like the manager of the project, like the pro? No. No, we had no. There's all those jobs are art are like you know we had like Mike Mayfield, um, we had all these brilliant people who were helping us with that. But what Pendleton, you know, he was definitely the final like yes or you. There has to be one yes or no person at the at the end of the thing, you know, and he was that person because like sure as fuck was it going to be me? I didn't make Adventure <laughs> Time. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to, but also what was cool about him is he didn't, he wasn't like, I know this is right. He was never like that. He was so, so communal and like so collaborative and so empathetic and so compassionate. I'm telling you, it's like, it was like being, he was like a, a maestro. Like he knew, it was just a really cool thing to watch. It was, it was thrilling to see how he empowered everybody. He was, we, we always wanted everyone to feel involved. We didn't want people to think like, you know, just because you're not technically in like some creative like department, you can't tell us an idea you have. And also we wanted people to tell us if shit was problematic that we were missing. You know what I mean? Because in the midst of making all that stuff, there really might be something in there that's like fucked up, you know, like the master slave thing or whatever, you know, where you're just not, you might not catch it. And we didn't want people to be afraid of saying that. Like, we don't want people to be like, what the fuck? That bothers me, whatever the thing was. And so we tried to create that kind of space. He he was really good at creating this, uh, uh, hopefully what was a safe space for most people there. Damn, yeah, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> all right, I have a question from at Ash Dark on Twitter. She's actually a really cool visual artist from Australia. I know, cool. I know this person. She asks, "What's your f- who is your favorite visual artist? Okay, 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 okay. That's a great fucking question. It's always hard to think in, in terms of favorites. It is it, it is hard because you're sort of like sorting through your... Okay, my ultimate favorite visual artist is an artist who has passed away and his name is Paul Lafollet. He is a, I think what you would call a visionary artist. And he actually thought he had an an alien implant in his brain, which the art was coming from. 
And mm. it is, are you looking at it? Did I you am, look it yeah. up? It's, it's amazing, fucking man. incredible. And um, yeah. Is that what that pace is right behind you there? What's that? There's a pace like right behind you. No. I saw when you walked in. That's, no, that's, a, that's Alex Gray, ah, who is I another gotcha. who I love. Yeah, Alex, Alex and Alice and Gray. I love both of their art, their work. And, and, but that's a, a Ramdas commission. Someone commissioned Alex Gray to paint Ramdas. Um, but yeah, Alex and Allison Gray are, are like going to be a close second there for me um, when it comes to uh, art. And then Kadinsky, this is embarrassing because I forget his name and I always find myself Googling it. He was a mystic. I believe it's Kadinsky. <laughs> Let me look it up just to make sure I'm not getting someone confused. That's a writer actually. It's... um. He did Wasily this. Thing. God damn! I'm Kedinsky. so sorry. I don't want y'all. I don't want y'all to think I'm a complete asshole. Wait, yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it's Wasily Kadinsky. Yeah, Kadinsky. I yeah. really love his art so much. Um, he's just oh, yeah, incredible. This is like very incredible. Salvador Dali esque, or like somewhere between Salvador Dali and Picasso or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, he's good. But I really love his art a lot. Um, and then mm. you know. There's this outsider artist, and I can never remember his name either. But you know who else I love is Daniel Johnston's art. I really love his art a lot too. His paintings are oh. fucking cool. I have to Google all these people. I'm like so bad with visual artists. Daniel Johnston's and, a musician too. Ah, gotcha. Yes, yeah, says that. Yeah, he's a yeah lo-fi and alternative music what, guy from the out the outsider. Is that a band or something? No, I don't know. He made a lot of like great lo-fi music and he did paintings that were just so cool. Outsider artist. Oh uh, yeah, I see this. Yeah. Oh yeah, outsider, yeah. Yeah, correct. Cool. And Fuck then you, and then God, what's his name? I was just watching him paint last night. John John Speaker on Instagram. John Speaker. I have to like, yeah. I've get just all been watching up, him so I lately. Him I just love watching him. Damn. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, these... Oh, shit. Yeah, this guy's stuff is amazing. I Holy know. Shit. I know. It's so this good. Is like, so cool. This is one of those people where you're like, I don't see all the details per se, but like you can just tell it's there. Yeah, so exactly. I, I've seen this guy's pins before, actually. Yeah, this is cool, man. He does oh, yeah. live painting sometimes and just explains his whole process. It's really interesting to hear him talk about like what he's up to. Oh, it looks like I was already following him on Instagram, actually. Oh, cool. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. Um, let's see. At uh, Vogilla Music on Twitter asks a similar question, which is, uh, what is your, who are your favorite producers? And I guess they assume music producers. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm talking to one. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But then I, I, you know, listen, I'm, I love Tipper and I want y'all to really hear me here. I'm musically illiterate and that's just the way I am. So if you want me to like give you some, like, I don't have a cool response. I, I sure wish I did. I love music. I always, I love Daedalus. Oh, I yeah, love dude. music. The podcast I always you did with will him love music. Amazing. I had Daedalus on the podcast. He's fucking incredible. Um, but, it, but I'm not going to be able to go too much deeper than that. And I apologize. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I love the music. I love listening to it, but my brain just doesn't categorize. Um, my I, I don't have that kind of brain. And I have a lot of friends who are musicians and I stopped some time ago pretending I knew who they're talking about, which was really good for me whenever they were mentioning this artist or that. 
Mm. Dude, speaking of fucking amazing artists, just before we jumped on this call, I was listening to um, Woolg's latest EP. Have you ever heard of Woolg? W-O-U-L-G. No. Fucking incredible. So he just released this EP called Bubblegum. And uh, this is what he wrote in the um, <clears throat> in the footnotes of it. He said, in this album, I was trying to explore the idea of pop music on PCP. PCP has fantastic lore around it. And I think the most fascinating thing about it is that it seems as many people have had these experiences where they took PCP and it presented them with an alternate reality and they accepted it without question. It's as if the umbilical cord of, cord of knowing that you were high was cut and the person taking it is fully immersed in the trip. Not only that, but from some of the accounts, the alternate reality seems quite twisted and perverse. There are reports of people disemboweling and eating each other or deciding that the best course of action is self-mutilation or castration and then emerging from the trip still convinced it was the right choice. Wow. Or, or even the accounts of people gaining superhuman strength and fighting off five or six cops at once. It seems like there is something quite dark on the other side of that door. So for this album, I tried to write what I imagined the pop music of that alternate reality might sound like. <laughs> and he said, what would happen? He said, what would happen to the sugary, sweet, wet dream corporate sponsored top 40 hits if we dipped them in angel dust and got, quote, wet? What would happen if we slopped all of those fun summer hits into the meat grinder of the PCP reality tunnel and just pushed them through? I like to imagine an intersection under an overpass in a cyberpunk dystopian future. It's midnight and you can see the neons from the storefronts on the other side through the thick smoke. Uh, yeah, it's fucking crazy. What a and genius. I, yeah, it's fucking twisted. It kind of yeah. reminds me of like Coil or something. It's <clears throat> it's just so good. insanely glitchy and just stretched and fucked and just like crazy pop vocals in there. It's yeah, it's it's everything I needed this morning. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah, dude, I'll I'll link it in the chat here so you can just have it sitting there ready for later. Thank you. Uh, let's go. Bam in the chat. Yeah, dude, that yeah, Wolg is fucking amazing. Um, <clears throat> all right, uh, let's move on with some more. Oh yeah, dude, I wanted to ask you this before when we're chatting about it, but luckily somebody here has asked it already in Twitter. Um, at DJ Sunset Eyes says, can you please have him talk about India slash his trip there and just Hinduism and Buddhism, which is like something I, I meant to ask when you were talking earlier, but I didn't want to like cut you off or anything. But yeah, how did you get into Buddhism? And like, you know, what is it like, how does it affect your life these days? And you know, yeah, yeah I'd love, love to talk about Buddhism a bit because um, my experience with it is like, um, I recently, I mean, I think last time we talked about uh, on your podcast, I was saying I was going through like addiction problems and stuff yes. like that. And I just like, constantly deal with that um same just yeah i'm an addict and that's just how it is so i like started going to aa meetings and shit and i was like dude this is not for me this is like way too culty and weird but then i found this like other type of aa meeting called refuge recovery which is uh supposed to be non-theistic so they don't say like you have to subside like you know uh, submit to a god and yeah. admit your powerless and all that shit, but rather it's based around Buddhism. So that's kind of like my only experience cool. with Buddhism, but it's it was good. And I, I, it seems to have like, yeah, grounded me a little bit, somewhat solved my problems, at least, you know, kept them at bay for, for as much as you can. Um, but yeah, what's your experience been with uh, Buddhism? And yeah, I just, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, well, it's a big question. I, in, in, um, I guess a good place to start is just like, how did you get into it? Well, I, so what happened was I was, you know, I was going to all these, these Ram Dass retreats and I was, um, 
you know, getting to interview Ramdas in front of people at the retreats and just like, it was really like, and they would let me, they would let me say anything. They would let me say all these blasphemies, you know, like at the Ramdas retreat, you know, there's a, there's a, a there's a group of people who are into bhakti yoga and who have a real connection to Hanuman. And um, which a lot of people um, have see, definitely seen pictures of Hanuman. He's sort of, he's a monkey basically. He isn't, but that's what one of the forms Hanuman takes. So um, monkey, he is a monkey. So, but obviously there's much more there that that represents. So I was, you know, sitting on stage talking to these, to, Ramdas, I think one of my questions to him was something on the lines of like, you know, if everything's impermanent, isn't Hanuman impermanent too? Like, isn't like any kind of theistic, anything impermanent? And I don't remember even what the answer was, but sitting in the audience with someone who became my meditation teacher, David Nickturn, who it was a student of Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche. And so he thought that was fucking funny that I asked that question to people who were into bhakti yoga. It was a very, I think he thought of it as a very Buddhist question. But anyway, like later, like Raghu Marcus, who's one of my mentors and also a teacher of mine, he like came up to me, he's like, Duncan, you know, somebody said to me, you seem real nice and everything, but what's your practice? Don't you have any practice? Do you have any spiritual practice? And I got so mad. I was like, what the fuck? No, I don't. I wasn't doing any kind of discipline or anything. I was just like yapping. And so, um, I was like, who said that? He's like, you know, this David Nickturn said that. And I was like, well, I want to talk to him. And then we started talking and I just, I don't know. It's like, he's so cool and basic and normal and not weird at all. And not like, that's what I love about him is like, and then it's in the lineage of Buddhism that he is, you know, I work with is, is, is very basic, very simple. And for me, it's, that's exactly what I need. I, I like, I don't need, I want to like my, I, my ego wants me to be levitating and walking through walls and to have telepathy and like, you know, all these things, like there's a, a real spiritual materialism possibility inside of me where I, I, I want to be recognized. I want to be seen as like advanced. I want to be this sophisticated, this is all, this is what's known as spiritual materialism. And a, and a lot of people get caught up in that. And it's a normal part of the path, actually, which is like you, you want to get recognized. You know, you want a trophy. Like every once in a while, I'll get on Instagram a message from someone saying, I am now enlightened and I would like to talk to you about it. I want to talk. To, and it's like what they really, I think, are wanting is not to talk to me about it. What they want is for me to say, you're enlightened. And, it, and that's spiritual materialism because they want a trophy that they can mm. put on their wall, which says I'm enlightened. And, right. <clears throat> or, or, or another thing about it is like, you know, you, you can end up with like all kinds of shit around your house, you know, Buddhas and Hanumans and Ganeshas and crucifixes and pictures of this guru and that guru and all kinds of stuff all over the fucking place, all over your house. It's a little bit like modular synths, man. Like you can end up with like a wall of modular fucking synths that you don't understand and you definitely <laughs> don't fucking use. And like that's what happens with a lot of different spiritual lineages that people get involved in is like, you know, 
most of them have something that's going to lure you in. And the reason it's there is compassion because the idea is there might be a way for you to not experience suffering at the level you're experiencing it. So look, here's this thing or that thing. Very shiny generally, very pretty, very sexy looking, very cool looking, a lot of potential promises in there. And then once they lure you in, then all of a sudden something starts happening to you that is not very what you would what you were hoping would happen like it's no longer pleasant it's not like you're getting your ego gratified all of a sudden in fact a lot of these paths are inviting you to abandon your identity completely to drop it like an old fucking teddy bear that some like adult infant has been dragging around for way too long and and that is not cool for a lot of people that when they get to that point they're like you know what this isn't for me and then they find something else. And then they get to that same place with that thing. And like, this isn't for me. And then they find something else. That's spiritual materialism. Uh, and so um, this, the Buddhism I study is in the lineage of Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche. But it's, you know, all Buddhism has this like convergent point around the Four Noble Truths, which, you know, are not limited to any particular path. Um, but are more of a process, which is another thing I love about it, which is, um, whereas like some faith-based paths are inviting you to just believe. And in that is a satanic thing that happens where you're invited to discard your rational fucking mind. Like so much exploitation happens there where, where you, this thing that like has kept you alive and food in your stomach and like kept you functioning in the world. Someone's like, no, that's wrong. That's totally wrong. The next thing you know, someone's like literally like sexually abusing you and making you think it's normal, you know, or, or doing or taking your money or asking you to subvert your everything inside of you, telling you this is fucked up. I know this isn't true. I mean, it's the history of cults, you know? So Damn. what I like about the Four Noble Truths is that this is a thing that's like, the, the invitation is you must study this. Mm. You don't just get to like, this, it's like, you don't get to just like believe in this anymore. Look, you could believe that if you stop eating fucking bowls of cereal at night, you're going to lose weight. But if you keep eating bowls of cereal at night, you, you're not going to lose the weight. Just the belief isn't enough there. You have to study and practice. And so, so that's what I love about Buddhism is it's more of a process wrapped around this idea of like why human suffering exists. And, and that process is is um, part of it involves hyper skepticism, hyper cynicism. You're not supposed to just hear life is suffering, dukkha, and just be like, okay, life is suffering. <laughs> is it? What does that even fucking mean? Or the cause of suffering is attachment. Well, what does that mean for you personally, subjectively? Is that even true? And 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 if it's true, well. Like, what does that imply? Then why are you suffering if you know that? What's going on there? And then <clears throat> within the next two noble truths, the cause of suffering is attachment. And or rather, if we stop being attached, we'll stop suffering. And there's a methodology to help us no longer be attached according to the, again, even the terminology is confusing because you hear attachment and you might think, oh, I get it, I'm... I'm attached to Game of Thrones or, oh, I get it. I'm, I'm attached to 
my car or my family or my job or my whatever, all that stuff. But it actually goes a little bit deeper to that than that. It's not just, right. but you can it's start there. The, the, uh, it's not the cause of suffering, um, essentially the intolerance of feelings. Like it's kind of like if you're sitting there, right, and you're like, there is the like, I'm attached to Game of Thrones. And if I don't get Game of Thrones, like what's below that, right? It's like an intolerance of yeah. like not being able to sit there with your feelings without having Game of Thrones. Like aversion. So that's yeah, exactly. a, so it's like basically another way to put what you just said is it, it's just never enough. Never a fuck enough. No matter what you're doing or where you're at, it's not quite enough. And that, one of the words for that, oh, that's called fundamental dissatisfaction. So you're just like, wherever you may be, you, there's always like a possibility of adding something that maybe will make the experience better or removing something or removing yourself. And this gets very sophisticated for people and it, gets, and it, and it essentially creates a life around you. It, this never ending process of trying to fix your situation. So that, that, so what happens if instead of like being in this never ending project to try to rearrange your situation, what happens if you, if you actually are just in the situation? What happens if instead of like even telling yourself a story about the situation or uh, redefining the situation. I think a lot of people call it polishing a turd. What happens if for a second you just let it be a turd? What, ha you know, so, cause, cause what generally the, the idea is like, try to find yourself. Just spend any amount of time trying to identify like yourself. Like, what are you? Where are you? Where are you hanging out? Where, where, where does your heart, what, what is what, what are you really? Find yourself, just find it, find yourself. And then you, for you, that's a fun and queer inquiry that you, that, um, uh, it's a, it's a, a lot of people don't want to do because they realize pretty quickly. I don't, I can't find myself. I don't know where I am. I don't remember the first 10 years of my life. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't remember what I ate for lunch a few days ago. I don't know what I, what am I? Am I a bundle of impulses? Am I the story I tell people about what I like in my Twitter bio? Am I my Instagram bio? What the fuck? Where am I? Where am I in my body? Where does my mind hang out? Like, what the fuck am I? Where am I? It can become really confusing for people really fast because the whole story they've been telling themselves their whole life is, well, I'm a me. You know, I'm an I, I'm a separate thing from you and I'm a me. And so this is attachment. You're attached to a delusion. You're attached to like a kind of basic ignorance of your actual identity. And in that basic ignorance, you go through this never ending iteration of a process of pushing yourself into reality. You know, so you're, you're like, you're always telling yourself a story, an explanatory story about why you're where you're at and where you should be and what's coming and where you were and what went wrong and why it went wrong and all of these things. And in that process, you're subscribing to some past that definitely isn't here anymore, some future that certainly isn't here anymore. And it's just a lot of bandwidth, man. You're, you're like, there's a lot of fucking apps up on your computer if you're trying, if you're doing that. And so, so, um, you know, the practice of meditation is the practice of like, okay, well, what happens if I just sit down? What would happen if I just stopped all this for a second? Like what happens if I stop the project? Yeah, I'm just going to sit down. As Sam Harris describes it, your brain gets hijacked by the most boring person alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like somebody yeah. just 
telling you the same bullshit over and over again. It's just like, could there you, you shut go. the fuck up, please? There you go. There you go. That's a great way to fucking put it. You sit out, just sit. I mean, it's like you want to talk about like proof that we're in a goddamn simulation. Sit still for 20 minutes, <laughs> right? Why is that hard? Why the right. fuck is it hard to sit down with no machines and no devices and just just keep your eyes open and stare at a diagonal? Why is that hard? Why is it hard to do that for 20 minutes? Why do you feel like you're on fire? Why do you suddenly like want to fall asleep or take a shit or write that, write a poem or call your mom? What the fuck is happening in that 20-minute period that is so incredibly intolerable? It's just you. You're just mm. sitting still. It doesn't make sense. Why is that hard? And that is a really good question to ask. And the, the practice of meditation is one way of asking that question. And or, or in, in Tibetan Buddhism, it's known as gom, which means self-knowing, familiarity with yourself. So just like Sam Harris says, just in that 20-minute, 30-minute, 45-minute period that you're sitting, all of a sudden you start seeing this thing he's talking about. It's like, it's like having a dog in your backyard, except it's not barking. It's yelling out like various shit affirmations about who you are as a person or telling you like, you might have cancer. You might have cancer. Why did I say that last night? I shouldn't have said that. God, I'm a piece of shit. God, I'm a piece of shit. I got to eat. I'm hungry. I don't eat good enough. Well, am I balding? Oh, fuck. Why did I say that to my mom? I'll never be a good enough person. What would happen if a nuclear bomb went off and washed? You know what I mean? Like it's this infinite <laughs> loop thing that's happening up there. And so just the process of sitting and watching that, getting familiar with that, it creates a little bit of space, I think, between you and that, that, um, that crazy fucking dog in the backyard of your brain. And so then, then maybe somewhere in there, you, 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 you stop believing the the mental can the thought process so much that's you know so for me with buddhism just to wrap up this long-winded rant uh sharon salzberg is a great buddhist teacher she was telling me she was talking to this little girl who's learning mindfulness and the little girl said mindfulness is what keeps me from punching my brother in the face <laughs> Dude, i like that so it's not a big deal for me what it does for me what it does for me is not a big deal in this but 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 it's it's really nice to have a, a few moments in between when an event happens where normally I would respond in a really angry way and realizing like, I don't need to do that. I don't have to believe the explanatory process in my mind that's instantly happening regarding why this person cut me off in traffic or why this person is seeing- I mean, I think it's fine to do that. Like I think a reason, like the correct way to respond to anger is to be angry, right? Like without letting yourself be that and like grieve through that process, basically, like you end up just bottling it up or something. But I, I think the important thing, at least for me, is like before I get angry, to just like go, I'm about to get fucking angry. Like, let's just take a step and just yeah. think about like what is actually even happening here. So you can even just understand it or even identify it. And I think just that action of just thinking about like what it is and like turning the attention back in on itself. There is like you a, go. It can, can do a lot to just like at least make the suffering or the experience of being angry or sad or whatever last instead of hours or minutes last like seconds. Exactly. There you go. And that, or that's it or lifetimes even. And just right. that, that's as far as I'm concerned, that is, that's great. You know, that, that's, that's great. That's all 
that's all I could ever ask for in a, in any kind of path or, or lineage. You know, it's just just that. I mean, the whole possibility that you can actually stop suffering as a human being and gain enlightenment in this li- lifetime and all that sounds great, cool. But you know what? I just want to be a good dad right now. And you know what I mean? I don't want to blow up so much when shit isn't going my way. You know, Mm. that's where I'm at right now. And if I can get enlightened in this lifetime, whatever that may mean, beautiful. But what I love about Buddhism is that it, it has a place for both. You know, mm. and, and, and that, that's really nice. It's a wonderful, I, I highly recommend this book right now. If you're interested, it's called Cynicism and Magic. Uh, it's really that. good. Just came out. Cynicism and magic. I will grab that shit. You'll love it. But actually, by Chogyam Trungpa. There you go, yeah. yeah. And Devandra Banhart reads it, and he's like got the perfect cult leader voice. I fucking love the way he reads it. Dude, hell yeah. I have an audible credit. Let's go. Oh, yeah. All right. Purchased. Um, That actually leads us really well into the next question um, because you're just mentioning about like all you're trying to do right now is be a good father. Um, We have a question here from a guy on Discord named OG Papa Swank who says, what are some of your favorite parts about being a father? And also what are some of your parts about being in a free, sorry, what what I guess he means, what are some of your favorite parts about being in a free love relationship? Oh, well, I'll start with the free love relationship thing. Friend, we don't have time. We're married now. I mean, we got kids. It's like we always talk about it. Someday it'll happen again. But right now, like we don't, I don't have time to, and we, we're scheduling sex. You know what <laughs> I mean? So adding someone else to that is impossible. Impossible right now, I think. Maybe not. It's like a fantasy now between us. It's, but you know what is nice is to know it's a possibility. I mean, I think a lot of people, if they get in, a, in like a kind of like super monogamous relationship, that po- the, the, the possibility flies out the window. So, you, so you're, I think you're just like, well, you're only going to be experiencing me for the rest of your life, and I'm only going to be experiencing you for the rest of your <laughs> life. So let's pretend to be happy about that. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so it's nice to know there's some other possibility down the line. But, you know, I think when you have kids, it's super important to just stability, structure, make sure that like the decisions you're making lead to a stable world for them, them to exist in, whatever that decision may be. And, um, and I don't think there's any reason why those two things can't coexist. In fact, I know many people who are very successfully doing that very thing, which is great. But as far as being a parent, I mean, it's like um, you need someone to serve in the world, you know, service. It's nice. It's important. You need something to, to someone to help. You know that uh, if you can help, help. That's a, a maxim I think I heard the Dalai Lama say. It sounds so obvious, but people forget it. If you can help, help. If you can't help, don't hurt just those two things is make those your commandments. You'll have a great life. And when you have, so having kids, it's like now I have a, something, there's always something to help. There's always something to do. There's always a way for me to practice putting down my project, my agenda, my, what I want to have happen in my own life and all of my selfishness and, 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 and sit with a, a being fresh to the universe 
and, and like just be in that moment with them. That is a practice. That's like a, for me, a real spiritual practice. And uh, I like, so I, I love that. I have moments within that relationship that transcend any of what used to be my favorite psychedelic moments, you know, sun, sunrise at Burning Man or like, you know what I mean? Like the, the greatest, like, you know, meeting some alien in uh, the K-hole or like, you know, being embraced by the goddess on mushrooms. All those things are, are what I were to me peak experiences, but they pale in comparison to the experience of just holding my, my, my child and giving him milk. Just the experience of that. It's like the, the, it's like a, a doorway opens up into this realm where I'm no longer like encumbered by that, the barking dog of my mind and where I'm no longer just a me anymore and I'm no longer locked into myself. It's beautiful and powerful and not just those moments, just like, you know, the, the feeling of like, like love, the, the, sense of like a of transcendent love and the sense of like, my God, I don't understand any of this. Like, I don't know what, whatever I thought the universe was is, that's not it at all. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I ever will. And I don't mean I'm confused necessarily, just like this sense of awe at the, how just the most simple, basic formation in our species is more than enough, is more than enough, is just that. Like, what are you gonna do, improve on that? Like, how are you gonna do better than this? What, like, and I think that my early days, that was, there's that weird idea of like, I'm gonna upgrade this reality, man. <laughs> you know, I, I'm gonna, I gotta figure it out. I know, you know, okay, the whole like have kids thing. Yeah, you go do that, breeder. I'm gonna restructure the paradigm. And then when you're, when you're in the situation, for me, it's like really like, and you get that kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe I thought like that. I can't believe I was so proud and so full of myself and so certain of myself that I dismissed the, the flow of genetic life for my species into time. It's like a, a kind of antiquated way of being, you know? Right. And I, I love that because it, it really does like create a wonderful sort of energy it like, it, it, it's humbling. Yeah, dude. Sobriety is the weirdest drug of them all. It's true. Tipper told me that. <laughs> Who told you that? Tipper. Oh, no, no, Tipper. No. Tipper. Oh, yeah. Sobriety. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that, exactly. That is enough. It's enough. It's like, that's enough. And, and I also, I think that's probably... The re, like pe a lot of times when people are getting high, it's like actually you're weirdly coming down yeah. because you can't take the intensity of day-to-day -day reality, yeah, which is the most psychedelic shit ever. So you're like sort of absolutely. trying to like numb it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Gabor Mate, Gabor Mate, however you say his name, his whole um, sort of thesis on addiction is like not why the addiction, but why the pain like, what are you trying to mm. numb? You know, what's below that? Oh, yeah. That's good. That's getting to the root of it. That's like the root Absolutely. of karma. Yeah, dude. If you haven't already read it or listened to it, um, I highly recommend 
um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. Ooh, I have it. That's cool, though. The Hungry Fucking Ghosts, man. I, I love yeah. that. It's an amazing I book. love that story of what they are. Yeah, dude. I'm writing it down right now. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, hey, man, I know you have to write, and I actually have to as well. Um, but, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Are you uh, kidding, man? Thank you. This was – you're a really great interviewer, and thanks for letting me ramble. I really appreciate it. it. Thank you. I feel like every time I was letting you ramble here, I was just like letting you go off with like an incredible guitar solo or something like oh, that. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's real. Listen, I know this is during, you're, you have an open invitation to anytime you want to come to Asheville, man, come stay with us. Dude, I've been meaning to. I, I'd love to come and I've been meaning to go hang out with Dave for a while. So, um, yeah, I'll, I should make a trip out there. I'm super into mountain biking right now too. So I should just make a trip out there and hang out. Dude, with you guys will and... you come? I want to learn how to mountain bike. I'm, Dude, I'm, 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 I'm mountain biking adjacent. I like, I'm always on Dude. the precipice of buying a mountain bike, but even the people who sell my mountain bikes right now are like, why don't you wait a few months? It's like uh, crazy how much they cost right now. It, it kind of is. Yeah. I mean, I bought one recently. It was like 10 grand, man. You can easily drop like 10, 20 grand on a fucking the Lamborghini of mountain bikes. It's, but I can rent yeah. one. I would, and I know a place where I've always seen people mountain biking, like relatively close to where I'm at. We should do it. See if Tipper wants to come. He he definitely does. I've talked to him about it as well, but 100%. Yeah, let's do it, man. I mean, I got some shows towards the end of the year, but I think early next year or something, I'm pretty free. Yeah, let's make it happen, man. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. (laughs) 